Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. So this ball that I talked uh, about earlier this afternoon, um, when the mind is, um, sometimes we use the word secluded or protected, uh, protected from the difficult emotions, hindrances. Um, uh, when the mind is in that uh, state um, of non-agitation, non-reactivity. Um, what we often find in that field here, that is, here is a small field, but uh, the experience, you could drop the ball and it becomes like a, much more of a, an inner experience which uh, could be felt as boundless in a way, you know, like there's no edges to the, the mind, right? It's not uh, geographical like this. Um, so that field here of, of this protect, protection is often a field where, um, you know, joy is felt. It's often described like this by uh, meditators, you know. It's suddenly there's a, there's a joy of just uh, being here with the rain or the joy of stepping or the joy of the mind that doesn't produce so many thoughts, you know. Just the joy of a spacious mind. It's also the field of, um, of care, of a caring heart. So I call it the mind, but I could easily call it the heart. They, uh, these terms are used synonymously in, uh, in Buddhist psychology, mind, heart. And uh, it's, a, it's a field of tenderness also. That's how it um, often manifests field of uh, where there's uh, care, compassion. Um, yeah, and the way it's felt often is that the mind is not jumpy. Right? It's not going. It's not chasing after content. What could I want next? What opinion could I produce next? You know, what, uh, what could I be aversive to next? It's not uh, chasing after things like this, like the regular mind often is. You know, we're s sitting here and we're chasing uh, after thoughts, you know, and, you know, even problems, you know. It's so boring here. Let me imagine some problems to solve. <laughs> I recreate them. They were gone, but let me, you know, recall them, uh, invite them in. And so that... Mm, kind of mind doesn't do that. It doesn't look for trouble. Um, so I use the image of the ball, but I could have also, but there's several images that are possible here. So images that are used also is the image of, um, you know, this um, seesaw that the kids play on, you know, when one kid sit here and one kid sit here and they go like this. <laughs> And so we, I could have used that image because uh, one way to talk about the, these uh, qualities that uh, come together is to talk about energizing qualities and calming qualities. And it might look like a paradox, but they go really well together in the mind or in the attitude, if you want. So a mind that has curiosity to it, uh, some energy, maybe some joy. So that's one part of the sisa. And on the other part, uh, so on that part, you know, uh, energizing factor, factors as a curiosity and joy and energy itself, like a vivacious, could I say that, mind, kind of intelligent, where there's some brightness, some aliveness, we're awake. You know, to what's happening. Engaged could be a, a word also. So, this on this side, 
energizing qualities of mind. On that side, calming factors of mind. So calm itself. The mind that is not so discursive, doesn't have much to say. You could use the image of a lake that is quiet. The mind can become like this sometimes. And so the quietness of the mind itself, and here we uh, cultivate this uh, in the way that we, um, in the culture of movement here, the way we move, the way we eat, is to uh, cultivate these qualities, the quality of calm, of concentration, the staying, the mind that stays uh, where it is, stays put with the stepping, stays with the breathing, with the hearing. Yeah. And so the concentration, concentration is a calming factor, and uh, the non-reactive mind, the mind that has stability. There's a word that is used for this in Buddhist psychology, but it sounds lofty. It sounds uh, not accessible when actually it is. It's called equanimity. It's a mind that is leveled, stable, that doesn't react, oh my God, you know, that can actually en enter discomfort with stability. And so these calming qualities we, uh, we cultivate here, um, all of them. And so when they all come out, you know, because invited, invited again, uh, appreciated, cultivated, when they all come out and they create a balance, that's a balanced mind. This is a very powerful mind. This is the best kind of mind that uh, one can have, you know. It can be very useful in uh, daily life. If you have something you want to learn, I would say that's a good mind to have. A little bit of calm, a little bit of curiosity. If you're experiencing something very beautiful that you've been waiting for for a long time, that is precious, wow, may as well be there huh? with some amount of calm, some amount of uh, engagement, aliveness. You're going to get the best of the pleasantness that is there. You know? And often we're on balance. Something happy happens and we get all worried and, and clingy you know oh my god it's so great we have to do it again it has to stay you know and this is really poor quality mind <laughs> so you know the access to what is beautiful suddenly is very much reduced so with these uh, factors of mind calming and ener energizing factors when they're present if we're uh, we want to listen to somebody we really want to hear what is said. We really want the other to feel seen, you know, made visible. That is a really good quality, really good qualities of mind to come. If we have to solve a problem, I think that uh, field here of some amount of quietness will really help uh, think outside the box, as they used to say in the last decade <laughs> all the time <laughs> now we're up something else is happening in the language but uh, to have creativity you know needs a little space between thoughts an agitated mind will not be an ally in decision making in creative thinking and so we can see that these uh, these qualities that we're developing here can really uh, apply well to the situations of the world. Relationship. Oh, they love these qualities. <laughs> Difficult. Oh, they love these qualities. Relationship to the environment. You know, we're in a stressful situation with climate change, as you know. So what are we going to bring to the table? What are we going to bring to the situation? Agitation, despair, reactivity, confusion, denial, hatred? I don't think they're good uh, qualities to bring to the situation. So if we have to uh, you know, reflect or change our perception about the environment in order to respond better, 
I think these qualities will be welcomed. And facing, you know, transphobia, homophobia, sexism, uh, racism, ageism, body shaming, all these things that society can produce in its uh, great delusion, in its great confusion. How are we going to consider these when they happen in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones, or other beings we share the planet with? How are we going to consider these? I think the qualities that we develop here uh, are excellent uh, for this. I remember I was in the, the Bay Area uh, teaching at um, the center. Um, uh, oh my God, the name just escaped me again. <laughs> so uh, I was visiting anyway. Was there was a you know a, I think it was a LGBTQ uh, alphabet sangha. Um, meeting and I was uh, teaching like this and I was giving <laughs> examples a little bit like this, you know. And, uh, you know, like, ah, oh, when you do this, it would be good to have these qualities of mind. I don't know if I was talking about qualities of mind, but giving examples of our, what happens in our daily life, you know. And uh, this community is a little bit more progressive and likes to name things, you know, and, uh, and uh, not stay too... Uh, you know, like normative and comfortable. So I was like, oh yeah, when eating, when, uh, you know, commuting to work, when being in relationship with uh, family members. And I was going on and on like this. And somebody said, when you have your uh, fingers up, up your lover's butt. <laughs> <laughs> when you have your fingers up your partner's uh, ass. <laughs> And I thought, why not? Why not? That would be a place where you would want to have balance of mind, you know, <laughs> and uh, good listening skills. <laughs> so I wanted to name it here just to not leave anything out of our practice. And so uh, I think, uh, is that there? I think over there at um, EBMC, East Bay Meditation Center, I I think I, they might have a group called um, Kink and Dharma, you know? <laughs> so exploring the fullness of our life uh, and seeing all the areas where there can be awakening, uh, presence, uh, wisdom, care, so that... Uh, so how interesting is that? <laughs> um, so thank you to EBMC, Sangha, um, courageous members for bringing the practice in every area of our lives. <laughs> um, so anyway, these qualities of mind that we develop here are good for all these situations, but they're also actually essential for insight, for the development of wisdom. This is the field. This is the really particular environment where a deeper understanding can arise. It cannot arise in an agitated mind. You know? We need to balance the mind in this way uh, to actually see more clearly what is what. Otherwise, you know, we don't have the steadiness to actually look at things. If I use a, a seeing, a visual uh, uh, symbol or image, And what do we see? What is this wisdom again? What is insight? So there's several kinds of uh, insight that we can have in the course of our practice. Liberating insights. Insights, we could use synonymously, understanding. Liberating, deeper understanding. Vipassana, uh, to see more deeply. 
to understand in a penetrative way, in a deep way, in a felt way, in an embodied way, in an intuitive way, you know. So not from a list of something, but from a felt sense, from a gut feeling, oh my God, you know, from the skin uh, intelligence, whoa, I just understood this, my skin showed me that I really got it, you know, or my heart that opened or contracted. And so it's very much felt, this is why we want to come uh, closer and closer to here, inside here, to develop a good relationship uh, with, uh, you know, all of this fullness of this uh, being. And it's very progressive, we can't force this, it's very delicate, but through invitation and uh, through doing it respectfully in terms of where we're at, what's needed, etc. And so I feel like it uh, would be good for me to report some of the things that were said in today's group um, for the larger group. Um, not uh, you know the individual sharing, but some of the notions, dharma uh, ideas that we brought, brought forth. And um, so, in terms of insight, uh, we were saying I think that there's a kind of insight that hap- might happen on retreat that I find uh, very beautiful. I mean, all insights are beautiful because they, you know, their 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 function is to liberate the heart and mind. Um, and so a kind of insight that uh, happens once in a while in retreat is, um, you know, we'll be doing the walking, the sitting, attending uh, as closely as we can to experience, uh, listening to the rain, to the wind, to the silence. And we keep doing this again and again and again. And sometimes people will describe And suddenly, a memory came, like kind of uninvited, just like this, not from an agitated mind, like the person will say, I was really there with the walking. And suddenly, you know, a memory came of something from the past. And and, uh, what I I see uh, being described and happened, and it certainly happened to me a few times also, is suddenly, um, you know, something kind of drop. We could uh, describe it like this, like an understanding drop about the past. Oh my God, this is what happened. So we have a clearer view about what happened. Um, You know, one particular way that I see it sometimes, but it doesn't have to be that way, it's just an example. But somebody will say, will be able suddenly to take responsibility for something they did that they couldn't take responsibility for up to now. It was not possible. There was fear of judgment, of self-judgment, of of, uh, feelings of guilt. So there was some kind of justification going on, some bypassing. No, it didn't really happen. You know, these things happen, you know. And suddenly we're like, oh, God... I really did that. And the echoes of our own actions can suddenly reverberate when they couldn't before. Do you follow me a little bit with this? And this is not pleasant. It's interesting. Not pleasant, but liberating. Just to break the idea that you know, it should be only pleasant. You know, sometimes, it, suddenly I feel what we could call a spiritual remorse. Oh... That was not helpful, you know. I contributed to that mess, you know. When I used to think it was only the other one, maybe. This doesn't apply to all situations, so don't try to start, you know, taking responsibility for something that you're not responsible for. But there might be a place in your life, certainly in mine, where suddenly I'm like, oh, it's not just the other's fault. I didn't help, <laughs> you know. And suddenly I can be liberated uh, through responsibility. And here I could easily fall into guilt tripping, 
So creating a bad self and, you know, knocking on it. But that would not be uh, what we're looking for here. What we're looking for here is a heart that resonates. You know, it can uh, resonate to, like, uh, feel the echoes of what really happened, you know. And in the same way, we can suddenly acknowledge that this situation was really hard for us, you know in another situation, that this was really, really hard for us. And before we couldn't, we were like, oh yeah, these things happened, this is how it was, you know. And at some point, something might drop and say, whoa, this was really hard for you, my love. Really, really hard to be in this situation. And so, there's a kind of revisiting of the past that is not done uh, through obsession and agitation but it uh, appears because the mind is ready to consider things otherwise in a different way. Maybe because there's enough, what, stability, enough uh, curiosity to go beyond preconceived ideas, you know, to go beyond the way the story had been told and solidified, that suddenly we can... And we see the same like insight about decision-making. You know, somebody will come to retreat having to make a decision about this or that. Do I stay? Do I go? Do I say yes? Do I say no? And we could spin huh? in the mind, thinking about it. Oh my God, I have to decide, I have to decide. And what would be making the decision here? Agitation. Not good. You know? But here, learning to attend to hands resting, coolness in the room, body sitting, breathing, we create space in the psyche, in the heart-mind, so that maybe clarity can surge, you know, from somewhere else than the obsessive thinking courgette. <laughs> Watermelon. Pumpkin. <laughs> And, uh, and this is really beautiful when suddenly the clarity comes from, you know, from the under, uh, I don't know how it's called, source of the wisdom, you know, from almost we could say from the body. Suddenly it's felt here, oh, I was not even thinking about it, but just suddenly as I turned around in the walking, oh, I'm not going to do this. This would not be, you know, uh, done with integrity if I was to do this. Or there's something that can arise like this. So past, future decision-making. So these things can come, uh, there can be, you know, insight into our story, you know, or life. There's another kind of insight. Uh, so it means, uh, you know, an understanding that, appears, suddenly I see clearly. It's, you know, it appears differently. So it's a change of perspective. Huh? Like we saw something in a certain way, and suddenly, whoops, it just presents itself in another way that seems uh, wiser, closer to, uh, you know, truth or liberating, certainly. And this happens in terms of attitudes. So one particular kind of wisdom is discernment between what attitudes, what qualities of mind are helpful and which one are not helpful. And so, you know, we can be for decades harsh on ourselves, somehow unconsciously believing that being harsh would be helpful for us. You know, pushing ourselves around, being a little violent here and there, putting us, ourselves down in order to do better, or I don't know what, you know or as a learned way to hold oneself. And we might be aware, and somebody maybe was uh, describing this uh, like this today a bit, we might know that we should be, do better, but we haven't really felt it, like the impact of this kind of, these words, if they come as words, or attitude. You know, sometimes there's no word. It doesn't say, you piece of shit. 
it's a little bit more subtle, is just pushing down. Do you see what I mean? It's just looking down. You know, it doesn't say a word, it doesn't need to. It doesn't show us thought. It shows us ambiance, almost, you know. You know. And so, with the calming down and the paying attention, at some point, these things come into focus. They were there the whole time, but unseen. And suddenly, oh, what is that, you know, background music? As if all the time something was going to turn bad, you know? I had never noticed. I was just believing. You know when you watch a movie and they're like... Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I don't know what... <laughs> I'm not a musician. So. But you're like, you know something's going to turn ugly. You know? And so you keep looking like, where, where? And so there can be these things going on in the mind also in a certain way. It's a belief. It's hidden in the back and it says, you know, and people describe this. They'll have insight into this. They'll say, oh my God, I've been here for three or four days. And suddenly, I just noticed that I was guarded. That the whole body, mind is kind of guarded. You know? And it appeared. It was there in operation, but unseen. There was no mindfulness about it. it there couldn't be. It was just you know, it felt like reality, or it felt how things were. They needed to, I needed to be guarded. And suddenly, I began, oh, what is this? Oh, oh, oh la la. You know, that was a lot of energy, you know, over a few decades of like being a little tensed, you know. But this needs a high-quality contact. You know, it means we have to be in these things and stay around, stay around until suddenly they really come into focus. And I've heard so many versions of this, so many different attitudes or beliefs, you could say, or so many, I couldn't, I, I should, you know, document them. But, you know, some people will describe, you know, like, oh, you know, I had like a few days of being kind of impatient and arrogant. You know, like, ha, I know all this. I know all this. Give me something else. Come on, give me the good stuff, you know. <laughs> and suddenly it took day f five, three, sometimes, you know, on a three-month retreat or on a year-long retreat. You know, it took, you know, I started early December, this September, and it was just the day before Christmas <laughs> that it came into view. <laughs> you know, that attitude that is uh, self-loathing, impatience, being guarded. I mean, the, the list is endless of these uh, possibilities. So we come here and we pay attention as we sit, we walk. And at some point, oh, look at that that is in function, in operation. So we can't push on these things, but here we create the conditions for us to see a little bit more clearly how we're holding things, worlds that we're creating inside our own minds. So this is a particular kind of discernment. Uh, Pali terms are kusala and akusala. Kusala is what's beneficial, what ways to be are beneficial for me and for others. And akusala is which ways are oppressive, entangling. And uh, the way we actually find out about this is by feeling it, by uh, experiencing it. And sometimes in the quietness, it's uh, expressed by somebody else, but it touches us deeply. We call it insight because it's felt in the body and it's it's uh, uh, it's um, it's it shakes us you know suddenly somebody's benevolence goodwill care because i've got sensitive and attentive suddenly is deeply touching 
for me today, uh, Kabir, walking around offering papadam, was very, very, uh, very beautiful. There was a, you know, something very generous and and uh, kind and candid uh, about it, you know, and uh, and it was, uh, I would say, healing. You know, it was healing to be in uh, Kabir's environment for at that moment. You know, maybe at other moments too, but I'm. This one was very distinctive for me. And for me, there was a learning. Oh, look at that. Ease of heart, generosity, really helps, uh, you know, any situation, any room, <laughs> benefit from that, you know. So now I'm putting it in words, but it was felt, you know, it was a transmission earlier. And so here we have the chance to be touched a little bit more deeply by the ways we are, by the ways others are. Uh, and we can learn from this. There's another kind of insight I want to talk about. Uh, and other, other kinds of discoveries that we make. I, I think it's, uh, some of them have already been uh, named, but it's good to uh, spend a little time on this again, maybe today. And so as we come closer to phenomena, huh, whatever the phenomena is, it could be something heard, something felt in the heart, it could be a thought, could be uh, relational, it could be um, felt in the body as cold or warm, or you know, uh, it could be uh, something pleasant or unpleasant. So experiences, events, phenomena, the different things uh, that are known uh, as we're here. As we come closer to uh, these experiences, so we talked uh, maybe this morning about intimacy, huh? being very, very close to uh, the experience of hearing. Not just like, oh yeah, I'm hearing, I know. You know I've been hearing for a few decades now. It's, it's regular stuff. You know? Sometimes uh, sati, or mindfulness, is uh, defined as, um, as um, discovering the familiar. So what are we discovering here? A lot of things that are familiar to us. We know about thoughts, we know about smells, tastes, emotions, you know. We feel them all the time. They're really familiar things we live with. But here we rediscover them or uncover them. They're covered by our lack of attention, our obsessions, our discursive mind. And here we pay really close attention specifically to each one of them, you know. It could be a step, it could be the doorknob, it could be the toothbrush, it could be the other hand, the one that is not holding the toothbrush. Suddenly we become aware of the other hand. My God, it had disappeared. I didn't know there was a hot, another hand <laughs> somewhere when you're brushing your teeth. <laughs> So these things come into view, these different uh, events, phenomena. And as we come closer to them, and you know, that's what we call development of sensitivity, sensory awareness, they start to stand out. Huh? Suddenly a taste is not just a general taste of rice, it's this bite of rice. Huh? It stands out. The more quiet we get, it's not just sitting, I know, I've been sitting now for a few days. It's sitting now. Huh? There's a freshness in the way we uh, experience thing, things, as if we had never sat before or stepped before. And so it becomes really specific. This step, or the coolness tonight, or the darkness tonight, you know? And just this 
is already liberating because often we're engaged in uh, our you know habituated mind we're engaged in our blase mind you know i've stand before i've sat before i've walked before i've ate before i've been here before got the t-shirt etc <laughs> you know and here we develop another mind that is really very candid it's like oh what is it to breathe oh i've never been here now before huh? i had a teacher who would say that for years i heard him say that we would come back always to the same spot you know and he would say hey we've never been here now before and you know and some people would like raise their eyebrows like ah i've heard it so many times <laughs> so that would not work for them but for me there was something every time he said that there's something I was like that's actually true i was not aware of this that we've never been here now before i could have been you know i was duped fooled thinking yeah we've been here many times you know and suddenly like it would kind of highlight what's happening maybe even the preciousness wow you know three days of rain i've never heard the rain before <laughs> no it's not been three days of rain I'm joking so coming very close to events experiences we usually call in buddhist psychology phenomena coming very close to things that are happening not only do they stand out in their specificity a taste is a taste is not a sound and the sound of the rain is not the sound of a door you know and they start to stand out like this the coolness tonight is not the coolness yesterday and so when we come really close what we start to see or what starts to emerge or being revealed is uh, some characteristics of the phenomena that were there the whole time but we hadn't noticed and what are these characteristics very classic buddhist teachings here very very deep could easily miss it if we've heard it many times you know so what we come to be come intimate with is the passing nature of things how they arise and pass so like the sound now of the rain arises or arose and if we stay connected long enough we'll see it pass either the rain will stop or the mind will get interested by something else and the sound will disappear from consciousness for a few moments do you follow me if i start thinking about back home i can't hear the rain anymore the rain disappears and in this way over time maybe a few days here but a lifetime of practice it starts to be really really essential information very touching poignant have you heard that word before around here <laughs> the poignancy of life <gasps> how touching that things appear and disappear mind states impressions senses uh you know temperature ideas about things you know and as i sit here and that's why we slow down that's why our schedule is not too busy so that we can actually uh, have a really high quality contact with the changing nature of things so that i can see oh my god how many mind states have passed by and the wisdom lies in that this is a doorway to wisdom how because by seeing all these things pass by we start to take them a little bit less in a clinging way you know oh despair i've seen it come and go you know maybe i don't have to get all worked up about it you know i can let it visit 
doubt. Oh, I've seen it come and go a few times. You know? Ah, joy. Oh, I've seen it come and go a few times. I can feel it. I don't have to hang on to it and, you know, promote it and get angry at people who try to, you know, take it from me. You know, I've seen it. It comes and it goes. So I can let it rip, <laughs> you know, or rise and be felt and notice how it can change. Ideas. This retreat is never going to end. Oh, I've seen many thoughts. They're a little bit like saliva. You know, the mouth produces saliva. Again, I don't get too worked up about it. The mind produces thoughts. I don't have to get too worked up about it. <laughs> you know, so the idea comes, this is never going to end. The suffering will last forever. Oh, yeah. These bubbles, mirage, uh, you know, banana tree trunks. We talked about this here, no? Empty arising. Floats. Yeah, that's the image. Back to the floats. So this can be very liberating to see pain come and go, to see pleasure come and go. It releases the grip we tend to have on these things. You know. And so then we can have a more free rapport, relationship with them. They can come and they can go. We're not like all tied up by all these uh, occurrences, appearances. So that's one of the qualities that is in anything that will be experienced here. And we actually want to s notice this in a felt way. Not just know about it. Knowing about it <coughs> won't do it. We want to have an intimate encounter with the arising and passing nature of phenomena. And this becomes very poignant. We understand, oh, this life has arisen and it will pass. How amazing is that? You know, when things exist, they so exist. And suddenly if you stay around, you'll see them vanish, disintegrate, collapse. You know? So that's one of the characteristics. For that reason, maybe, that things pass. Another thing that we might uh, touch uh, closely or get an encounter of, and that will be also, um, you know, will shake us, I think, in some ways, is when we uh, steady the mind here, make it very stable, and keep looking at how things arise and pass, meals, periods of walking, of sitting, days, weather, inner weather, you know. Uh, we start to, so we, what is revealed is the dynamic, alive, living nature of things. And what we start to see is that because everything is evanescent, ephemeral, maybe, ephemeral, these, everything escapes me a little bit, huh? Is like sand in hands. It falls. Huh? I can't really get things totally because they keep changing. And uh, observing this, having a felt experience of this, dawns maybe on us that things can't actually be totally satisfying. They can't provide you know, enduring, sustainable, absolute satisfaction. So the way I projected on things, satisfaction, when I get this, everything will be okay. I might not have thought this exactly, it's unconscious, but there is a projecting on things, you know. This starts to collapse. I can't do this anymore because I've seen clearly the nature of things, that they arise 
and pass. And then I can come to peace with this. If you travel in Burma, one chant that you'll hear a lot is the, this chant where it's in uh, Pali. But what it says is, um, it's in the nature of things to arise and pass. Knowing this deeply brings the deepest kind of peace possible. How amazing is that? The deepest kind of peace is caused by what I really want to know, because I'm interested in deep peace, comes from an intimate, penetrative, intuitive knowledge of the arising and passing nature of things, their unsatisfactory nature. Relationship arise, and at some point, whoops, they change. No, not this one, not the next one. <laughs> and so, you know how last evening we were saying, I free you, and I free the body from my expectations and demands. This is a bit what we're doing, we're recognizing maybe that we're laying a trip on things and people, you know, expecting satisfaction, you know, and then being disappointed. Why? My body didn't provide complete satisfaction, or this relationship, or this status, or this, it can't, it cannot. If only I was like this. Once we've tasted the ephemeral, changing, and unsatisfactory nature of all the things around us, and that's the nature of insight, it's inferential. It means that if I understand something really well here, it will propagate. Is that the word? I will understand it for all other things. Like maybe a nun at the time of the Buddha, and in her poem she says, uh, I'm paraphrasing like I often do. Feel free that I can. She says, All day I walked and sat and walked and sat. All day I followed the instructions of the wise one. No wisdom gained. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> but she keeps going. Continuity. We talked about this this morning. She kept going. She's not, you know, demanding. She's, she's practicing humbly. All day, all night, all evening, sitting, walking, paying attention. No wisdom gained. At night, at the moment of going to sleep, blowing the candle, I understood everything or put it in the passive voice, everything was understood. What was the everything? Things that arise will disappear. The flame of the candle, health, youth, life, relationships, pleasure, displeasure, how I see things, my opinions, my preferences, all of these are passing through. Knowing this deeply bring the deepest kind of peace possible. Can I go on for a few more minutes? Or that's enough bad news? <laughs> so maybe the, we could say the last of the classic characteristics, three universal marks of existence or three universal characteristics of all uh, you know, conditioned phenomena. So they are ephemeral. They can't provide complete satisfaction. It's not in their nature. And the last one is nothing because of this Nothing can totally be me or mine. I want my money back. 
And so here we're actually going that, that deep in our investigation. That's really, really deep on questioning the nature of reality and assumptions, you know. And so as we sit here, we notice that things arise and pass. You know, the standing body has gone. Now it's a sitting body, you know. So we, we go from the ideas of things to the actual experience and, and the thoughts come and they go. So they can't exactly be me. Emotions come and they go. They can't exactly be me. Moments of consciousness. The moment when you were, I don't know, coming in this room earlier. This moment of consciousness, of knowing, is gone. Huh? Ah, so the knowing also lasted just a moment. The knowing of entering the room lasted as long as there was entering the room. Or the knowing of the bell can't be mine because it belongs as much to the bell ringing. Do you see what I mean? The knowing of the bell needs the bell. There is no knowing of the bell without the bell. It's really strange that I would define myself as I'm the, knowing, the knower of the bell ringing. Huh? So I'm presenting ideas now that's very, very, very limited. It won't go very deep because that it can just like crack your brain, you know, these weird ideas. <laughs> Here, we need a better vehicle to get the understanding. It's what we call meditation. Meditation pays attention and discover uh, for itself what is what. So an insight I got into this when I was uh, 25 years old, I was talking about this yesterday, was when I was uh, sitting in the doctor's office uh, that one day, and the doctor said, hey, the news are not very good. You know, you're HIV positive, and you have zero T-cells. You know, like no more immune system. And uh, at that time, there were no medication, as many of you know uh, maybe very very personally and intimately and the doctor was said you know from what we know at this point you have just a few years and it's going to get difficult and ugly you know and so suddenly some, something I didn't know I thought I was young forever huh? I was not totally aware it was not unconscious uh, it was unconscious but I thought I was healthy. I was health. And suddenly I was thought, I was told, actually, no. You're not that. This was there. There was health. And now there's this ease. You know, you were not uh, that, you were not health. There was health. It belonged to the conditions, to nature. There was health. And the conditions changing, suddenly there's no more health. There was youth, and suddenly youth is gone. You know, there was eternity, or there seemed to be, <laughs> and now there isn't. It's not there anymore. And so, for me, later on, a few years later, when I heard the teaching, they resonated in a very special way. I recognized this is true. What I think is mine is not exactly mine. It can vanish like salt, says a poet, poetess, like salt in the broth. You know? And so this is not um, easy to understand. That's a very hard-to-get insight. It's counterintuitive. And yet, for liberation, it seems like we're going to need this. Otherwise, we'll feel really caught inside ourselves, you know, the self that we've constructed and believe in dearly and are afraid of what's going to happen to this uh, self.
And so one way that I understand uh, the spiritual practice that we do is that um, maybe our all, uh, maybe bigger than the spiritual practice, larger is like the whole maybe course of our life of um, healing or uh, understanding is that we're born and we're undifferentiated. We're like, you know, we don't know what is what. You know, a hand comes by, it's all mine or the parent's hand. There's no, you know, we don't know. It's all all one thing, you know. (laughs) And if we have good parenting, the parent will say, hey, this is your nose, this is my nose. Where are your ears? You know, and we start, we are taught, you know, what is a certain eye and what is not, you know. And if the job is poorly done, either by the parenting, family or society, it'll say, this is you, ear, and it's bad, you know, and we'll get that message. And so part of the healing is to understand what is what are the boundaries, that this is me and this is not me, and, uh, and uh, that this is worthy. Huh? This is worthy. It's, it's a long path, you know, to understand deeply the worthiness of being. And that's something that can happen here in insight. You know, we could sit here and think we have to be productive, we should be somebody else, we should be better, we should be further along, we should be straight. <laughs> you know, we should be, we should be. And as we sit, we discover the beauty, the poignancy, the awesomeness, the strangeness of being, just being, being sensitive. And the more we sit and we discover, oh, being, wow, what is, what, what a touching thing to be. And we discover that being, when you're being and being sensitive, you're definitely worthy of care. Anything that is sensitive is definitely worthy of a lot of care because being sensitive means we're going to be touched by what is disagreeable and we're going to be touched by what is meaningful and agreeable and beautiful and it's a very touchy situation you know, to have senses, to be touched by ideas, to be touched by you know, at the surface of the, the body, to be touched visually all the time. So anything that is alive and sensitive is definitely worthy of great, great care and tenderness and, and uh, love. And that's something we might understand here. Go back to uh, our evolution. So, you know, we learn, you know, this is uh, your truck. This is uh, Nicole's truck. You know, no, mine, mine, no. This little Tonka truck. <laughs> I'm using North American images, maybe here. You know, this it's uh, it belongs to Nicole. Yours is this one. You know? And so we learn what is ours, what is not ours. You know, we learn responsibility. Hopefully, we learn to love the system that is us, and then we go to a Buddhist retreat. And then we are invited to go a little further along the exploration. We say, now that we've defined that this is you, that these are your thoughts, now let's go a little bit further and see, is that absolutely true? And this is really important because death is coming. You know, So if I think I'm the body, I'm totally identified, it's going to bring a lot of fear. You know? But if I find out that, oh, this is the elements, you know, it belongs to nature, then maybe it can become less stressful to know that this is going to return where it belongs to the earth. You know? If I f- find out that I'm not my thoughts, then it's okay that they'll stop. You know? If I find out even more closer to the center, we could say, that I'm not exactly the witness or the consciousness, but that it's something that happens, you know, then maybe there can be some release here. You know, things can be imperfect, thoughts, body, 
quality of awareness and I don't take it so personal. And so in this way, I go further along in my uh, exploration of human nature. You know, I formed hopefully a healthy self and then I can go a little further. It's not regression. It's not like if I'm going back to you know, early childhood. You know, I can navigate both. I can in a conversation say, oh, this is my opinion, or I decide what I do with my body and who touches it. You know, I have clear boundaries. Yet, I know that it's not definite truth. Do you see what I mean? That things are not completely mine, like the other, my partner. Maybe it's not completely mine, nor is my bicycle completely mine. If I'm mistaken, I really think it's absolutely true that these things or people are mine, it's going to hurt. You know, when somebody takes the bike, <laughs> it's going to hurt. Said, but it was mine. Well, I've done a little spiritual work and I found out that it was mine and not mine. You know, that we can't actually own completely things. I've searched enough, paid the big price, spent many days on retreat. <laughs> but now I know intimately that I can't own or be identified, describe myself by whatever, even intelligence or memory. I've seen that these things are unstable, they change. Huh? And so all of it, inside, outside, in relationships, all of these are changing. And actually coming to terms with this, can be very, very liberating, can bring peace to mind. Oh, I know that things are not things, they're events. You know, things come together, they're events that happen in the universe and collapse. And if I can know this very deeply, then maybe I'll be okay with the arising, I'll take care of what arises, and when it dismantles, I'll uh, be able to uh, meet that too, you know, not freak out as we naturally do, not knowing. Okay, so hopefully this is, uh, how do they say that in English? Mm -mm. Grain for the meal, something like this. What's the expression? Grits. Grist. <coughs> Grists for the meal. Thank you. <laughs> so let's take just a moment to let these words uh, pass. Yeah. May these uh, few words uh, nourish our investigation, our exploration of reality. May uh, they contribute to leading us uh, towards a more wisdom and a deeper and deeper peace.
Okay, thank you for your um, listening and uh, see uh, what you're experiencing. You might, uh, uh, you know, experience, uh, you know, more clarity about things or more confusion. If you're, if there, uh, this brought confusion, see if you can allow confusion to be there. Uh, it's, uh, it, it could be uh, good to learn to actually allow uh, confusion, unresolvedness things on being unresolved uh, and find some uh, stability into this, some okayness. Oh, I don't understand everything, but maybe it can be okay that I don't right now. Or can it be okay? And we'll come back on some of these uh, to add uh, nuances and things. Thank you.